the Damaged Goods Podcast. Oh, shit, dude. That's a sampler? I didn't even know I made fucking samplers, dude. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, well, there's that. Another sampler. God. Oh, no, that's that's the real mixtape. That's the Vlad tape. Oh, man. You, dude, I'm surprised you got all these, bro. Dude, I have every single one. Are you serious? Yo, dude, you just made my fucking day. Every, every, I mean, every, you know, prone, specs, Amadeus. Dude, you name it. Put the biggest smile on my face. That's insane, bro. And this is like this one. The first one, the arrival, is that yeah, that's yeah. the one I actually bought from you at a show before I knew you. Oh man, dude, you just gave me an emotional boner, bro. I feel good inside, dog. Yeah, man. Because you know what's still? You're a fan still, and not just of my shit, but of music. And yeah, and I'm, I'm actually I'm gonna liquidate some of like the uh, commercial, like the the national, you know, big rap and stuff, mid era, you know, dipset because it's. My my uncle's a big eBayer, and he's like he's like, don't think anybody's gonna give a shit about your stuff forever. Oh, you know I mean? oh, if, if, if the shit's hot now, if the shit's hot now, ditch it now. You know what I mean? You get stuck with it. Not only a writer, a savage. my local my local stuff. I I, I stuff. My keep. Dude. I keep all. Well, anything that's not definitely gonna be available and stuff like that. You know, uh, listeners, if you can't see, you gotta listen with your eyes or see with your ears. This man is holding up compact discs cds things that most people don't have anymore because uh this man isn't just a fucking ill-ass writer and author and editor of big boston this man chris ferone is a fucking uh, supporter and a fan of jake the snake and just showing me all my old cds and uh, and we're recording by the way chris so you cool. were... but damn thank you man that made me fucking smile dude oh i got it all i got the issues yeah I, I tell her you know i, I got all the all the old issues. I remember the first greater good feature, like all you guys, yeah, shot in front, uh, shot in front of the house, probably right. Yeah, I, I have all the stuff that you did for me too. I have them all in, in this house right now. Actually, I keep all that shit, dude. Uh, like, so quick backstory: Chris is the editor of Dig Boston, and he's an author. He's wrote a gang of great books, which you should get, which I have on a bookshelf. And he's a writer. We met. Because when Chris was doing journalism, right? Can I call it that? Music journalism, hip-hop journalism? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Chris ended up writing stories about me or articles about my artistry or my groups. And that's how we kind of became cool and friends and shit. And uh, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. That was uh, definitely, uh, you know, I remember I always had a lot of respect for cats like you who were really just, do, you know, really doing it. You, you, uh you would get off the stage immediately and start selling CDs through the crowd. Got to hustle. That's what you got to do. <laughs> like the eBay story. Like I knew they just saw me. They haven't gotten too drunk. There's there you not go. Up taking the spotlight. I better fucking slang some shirts and CDs. Yeah. I mean, and there, there are of course, uh, you know, that's at a show. There are of course th- those who are uh, always sling. I mean, God knows how much some people made over the years selling CDs and downtown crossing and stuff. Oh, too. Dude, I never liked the approach of like, if it wasn't my show, Right. I didn't want to be out there soliciting dudes like in Times Square, you know, like, and I'm sure if you approached a thousand people, you might've sold 20 mixtapes that day and maybe you made 15 bucks on each. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the same dude who like hollers at 10 girls at the bar and you'll get, <laughs> but that's not me. I Remember was, with the disc yeah. man? Remember dudes would have the disc man though? And they put the, on the headphones on you and stuff. I always, you know, that, I definitely have a lot of, those are the CDs I'll never, not like anybody wants them, but those are the ones I'll never get rid of. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Oh, uh, the gross putting on the, the other headphones. So, 
it was pre-earbuds. Imagine if it was earbuds. Oh, yeah. That's cool that, like, see, man, my mother, God bless her. She's a fucking sweet lady. She threw out, yes, some of my CDs, but my mixed tapes. My custom oh, really? tapes. Dude, that's like, for me, I, I collect records. I don't really have my CDs here. Most of them got tossed because of the same shit. But to lose my cassette tapes fucking ripped my guts out, dude. Yeah, I got you. Mean like you mean ones you made, or you mean no, actual no, like Tony like, Touch tapes, doo Oh yeah, I made taping ERS as a kid, and what I, I had tapes of um, what is it? Casey? No, what, what's the one uh, that Stretch and Bob are on? I'm blanking. I out. got tons. I got all. I got all the clue tapes. Still. Cause your mom's cool. Didn't fucking throw them out. <laughs> what the fuck, Kathleen. Yeah, man. That's uh. Yeah, definitely. Um. Yeah, my mom definitely was a hoarder. And I'm glad I have all this stuff. I have, like, you know, still tons of magazines and everything. So, you know, I, I keep what I keep, but I definitely got to liquidate some of the stuff. You know, like, I always wondered, because I haven't talked to you. I mean, we've probably talked briefly over the last so many years. When I met you, Chris, and when I met you, you know, writing about music, writing about hip-hop, and then, you know, veering into – you always a smart dude. Veering into politics and, I mean, your first book – 99 nights with the 99%, which was like, uh, you know, your first book wasn't a music book and you would go right. write music books and more politics and shit before the dig even came. And I was wondering, I was like, is Chris's passion from hip hop still as strong as it was when he was strictly just writing about music? Absolutely. Great question. Yeah. So, um, you know, first on that is that a couple things. One is that I think you might've been even a part of the, one of the, you know, hip hop, between what artists were talking about, where artists were from, things I spoke with artists about when I was interviewing them, you know, that led to a lot of the reporting that I've done. And, uh, you know, one of the first big blockbuster stories that I did was we showed that uh, the Boston police had basically threat, you know, in, in not so many words, threatened club owners downtown in the theater district and said, we won't provide deep police details if you have hip hop shows. So it was like this unwritten thing, but I think we got a, we obtained a fact. So, you know, and then after that, it's like, you know, people are always talking. I remember, um, who was, was it you? Either you and or someone else who worked at a charter school. Oh, no, on and on, rest in peace. On and on's kid was going to a charter school. And they were telling those kids, like, you don't want to go to Boston Public Schools High School. So I was always getting stories from from artists. And um, But as for books, I actually almost had it. I had a book deal. I had an agent trying to get me a deal to do a story, uh, to do a book about all these diff all the underground scenes across the country. Oh, and, uh, you know, I actually, a couple chapters of that came out as articles, like one about Jedi, one about the you know, one chapter was at the first roots picnic. But, um, <clears throat> unfortunately it just never came together. It was, uh, it was going to be an expensive book for a book that, you know, it was really a pet project for the agent, but you know what? I kind of transitioned and, uh, as for my, my passion now, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I mean, you're a white rapper, so I don't have to tell you. What? But, uh, are, you am I, are you serious? No, but you know, for, for me, it's like, you know, I, I understand that a lot of the people, the people who, who troll me over crazy shit, like if something I wrote shitty about Kanye West, like 20 years ago, I understand that I don't care about those people. They, you know, they could, it, they're, they're not real fans of, of the music they purport to care about. I don't believe but it still impacts my life because I run a newspaper. I run a nonprofit. I got to I can't have people calling me, you know, this and that. And uh, I also can't be just arguing with people about shit. I wrote 20 years ago with that said, my passion for hip hop is like, you know, as you know, Jake, like I'm, I'm one of the only people I think you'll meet that. I only listen to hip hop. It's my music. 
if I didn't listen to hip hop, I wouldn't listen to anything. So, uh, I, I, you know, there, I definitely, I have a five-year-old kid now. So we, we obviously have gone through the phase where like in the car, it, you know, you really do realize how horrible a lot of the shit you've listened to your whole life is. But with that said, there's always beats. There's always, you know, my kid knows every word to, uh, all the early Fresh Prince albums. I haven't listened to those in years. So there's always hip hop, you know, I'm, I, I'm not listening to, uh, to Ill Bill with her in the car. I was going to say, who, Necro, who's, who's in the car? Yeah. It's a mom. With my kid. But, but with that said, no, my passion for hip hop is always there. And, you know, frankly, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm really always happy to see that so many of the artists I love listening to, I've always listened to are just still making great music, you know, still have their careers, have figured out formulas, you know, whether that's like someone like Rock Marciano, who I, in the record collection, I have the first UN album, you know, like that's how long I've listened to Rock Marciano and, um, or, you know, whoever it is, just even, you know, I, I have my little, my interest, which I know a lot of heads always made fun of me for because, uh, but, you know, there are artists that I, I like Quell, for example, you know, Q-W-E-L, a lot of people don't know from Chicago, but that, these are people who have catalogs of 20, 25, 30 records. And, yeah. you know, I don't care. I, I'm old now. I don't need to have like a whole club of people <laughs> listening to shit with me. You know, I can sit back with certain artists and really enjoy that. Get into catalogs I never did. That's fine. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, um, dare I say I'm, I'm, I'm interested in E-40, whereas I always thought he was the worst rapper ever. And I was hammered for that. And I got to say, I did say some dumbass shit and ignorant shit. And he's definitely not always my cup of tea. But wow, E-40 really can rap, as it turns out. So uh, there's, there's 30 albums for me, right? Yeah. So there's the passion. You know what I mean? Dude, this morning, me and my boy are driving to surf and He's, he, I was like, yo, I got to do this podcast. And he's like, oh, who are you having on? And I'm, I'm telling him about you. And, uh, and I'm, I'm telling him like this, you know, kind of what we were just talking about, the transition of, of a lot of your work going from music to politics. And I was like, yo, but my man is like such an ill hip hop fan. And I, he's from Queens and he's a little older than me and you, but he only listens to hip hop. Like he fucking hates classic rock. He calls it boomer crap. And oh. we, my boy was dying, dude. And I always thought that was a funny thing about you. You know, yeah. I, love- I mean, metal, I, you know what? I think it's just like, I, I don't know, for me, I did heavy. I like metal a little bit. Not enough that I'm like really going picking through, but you know, I, I just like really heavy, hard music for the most part. And, uh, and hip, you know, hip hop is the beats there. And I guess it's like, uh, and I will say, I'm sure we'll get into this a little too, but uh, even like I, I was borrowing a, someone's pickup the other day that had a uh, serious, Mm-hmm. I yeah. definitely like some of the new shit. Some of the new, some of the new shit is not bad, you know. And uh, but I understand the beats aren't there the way they used yeah. to be. But uh, some of these dudes can spit, you know. Uh, uh, was it uh, Money Bag Yo? That's oh, fucking that blew my mind. I've never heard of that name before. Dude, shit, that dude, shit is hot. So, but yeah, I mean, I, so my I, even with that, uh, but definitely, um, you know, I like a, a, my passion is there for it. Man, I listen to hip hop every day. That's what I listen to. It's interesting. I wonder if you, if you felt like this, like getting away from writing about it strictly and mm. still having a passion for it, but writing more about politics and, and, and running the dig and shit. Uh, it was easier to maintain your fandom because you're not as connected to it. Like when I stopped making music, there was a little period where I wasn't up on any new, sh- I was very kind of like cut off from anything like not new music, but new hip hop. I was listening to other whatever, but that's when I started writing, working on this book, doing radio shows and podcasting. And then after a little grace period, I was able to get back into like all these new artists in a straight like fan way. I had taken my artist mind away and I got, it was like, I was relaxed and I could really enjoy it in a different way, you know? And you were, you were one of the few, I mean, you, you obviously, you, you know, you shared with, 
you didn't listen to everybody was in kind of their own holes in Boston, listen to their own crew and stuff. But yeah. you always did to your credit, uh, you know, whether it was B.O.B. or Devin, the dude, people who none of us were really up on yeah. uh, in the Northeast. You know, you were you were had that eclectic ear, you know, for for me as a fan, like um, I will say, I definitely don't miss like, you know, you never get mad at an artist for being a dick or or uh, or, or missing an interview. But it does make it hard sometimes. Like I, I'll give you one ex- example. Actually, I don't want to call him out for it because I, I, it was a misunderstanding. But like some dude, some rapper who I really actually, I'll just say it was Odyssey. And like he, he like uh, I'm just a big fan. He's brilliant. And it was just like late night at CMJ like a million years ago. And he like said, talk, said some shit to me. I was like the only white guy in the crowd. It was like fucking 50 people there. And he like tried to like, I don't know. It was whatever it was. It didn't go over well. And it, it, it was cool. And I couldn't listen to his fucking music for like two years. I'm just like, it's a stubbornness. You know what I mean? And then, you know, and then, and then it goes, I don't even remember what the hell happened. It was so long ago. I think I wrote a column about it, but my point is like, I miss, I don't miss like not having any of those, that shit wrapped up in it. You know what I mean? But um, personal attachments kind of. Can- exactly. Yeah. And also like Wu-Tang, you know, yeah. It's, I, I did. Oh, by the way, that was my other answer to the question before is with books is like, you know, I've done, a, I've done like six or seven books with Wu-Tang members, you know, they're the liner the notes. One, what other ones have you done? Well, Talk. the first one I did was with ODB's family. Uh, that was, so that's kind of like a, that's kind of like a hodgepodge of just different quotes and everything. Uh, the, then the first ones we started doing with interviews, I did the, the liquid swords one that was like really, Oh, you know what? I actually meant to get that one because I'm incredible. Love and then, um, and then I'm get them over here. I, uh, I did Iron Man with ghost after that. And then of course the, uh, only built, you can see him actually over there. Yeah. Only built for Cuban links. Oh, wow. Yeah. Up there. Oh. And then, uh, and then I did the, the, let me go grab one actually. Yeah. Grab him, dude. I love that. Uh, for those who can't see this and you're just listening, Chris's studio office thing is is everything you'd expect from a wild writer, journalist, editor, dude. It's just posters and stickers and records and CDs on the walls and things related to journalism and writing and just and he's got the desk and the lights. It's a it's a it looks like a dungeon of creativity. I like. So it. this is that's exactly and then so this is the one I did with Riz. This is like the real huge ass book, bro. Well, this is the book. So the, uh, it comes with all this, all the CD singles. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's just that's the protecting neck single, and then the other ones, and he signed that, dude. And then uh, so the, so it's a book, and like a, a book, like a a long yeah. book laid out by Alfredo, by the way, Rico Dimas, peace to Alfredo, wow, dude. Uh, Jamaica Plain, right? And then um, that's sick, bro. Yeah, and what the. What is all that? That looks like those Tashen Art Company books, like really fucking. Yeah, this thing is insane. And then, um, and then, and all the records are in here. Oh, what? So that there's like little forty fives. Yeah. Jesus. So, so when you do a book like that, are you working in conjunction with like? Because and you're talking about the end, like the solo albums were on different labels. It wasn't all loud and shit. So how? Are you- yeah, but this for this licensing, it all goes through your old, all goes through Get On Down, where you used to work. So oh, okay. So they put they put it together. They basically get all the parties together. You know, they've done with a live. Did I don't not everything I've done is through them. I did one with Nas just directly through Atlantic for wow. uh, for the um, 
I did the liner notes for the, not the lost tapes. It was for uh, the universal years. It was just like a box set. I think it was mostly international. I got a couple. Um, but so I did the Wu-Tang and then the one I'll say that, you know, Wu-Tang fans should lose their mind over this is that I did, I did another one. There is a Supreme clientele book that has never come out. Oh, I need the advanced and I'll send, I'll send you the text. I mean, it is, Ooh. and it's incredible. And um, I, I shouldn't say any more because I don't know what, I don't, it had to do with the presentation. I don't know what happened, I think, but I think it should come out. And it's funny. Cause like, you know, this whole NFT thing, I, I, it's not like I have ghosts. People think I have ghost faces, like phone number, even when I was working with him, you know, it's like you call his friend and it's, he says, wait here for 45 minutes. And, and I mean, ghost is ghost. Like, Nothing is an act. That's basically how it is. Because it's true. Yeah, I mean, with with Wu-Tang, I never, it never uh, hurt my feelings. It's Wu-Tang. It's kind of like you're, you know, you're like getting to talk to, you know, God. So, uh, but with, you know, oh, and I want to show one other thing. I know this is an audio podcast mostly, but. No, the videos go up too. We're going to, don't worry. So this is like my pride and joy. This is a one of a kind piece. And it's from, so the Raekwon, for the Raekwon book. Uh, for the only built for Cuban links book that, you know, a lot of interviews, it was really deep and it's fun. It's interesting. I see Ray, Ray Kwan just put a book out. I can't yeah, wait to read it. Too. And I, you know, I, I never spoke to them while they were doing it, but uh, I, if it's more layer than what we did, I can't even imagine. Cause it, there's so much detail, but one thing I did kind of like part of the bells and whistles is I took every food reference on the entire album. Oh, that's so dope, dude. It looks like a menu, dude. That's so clever. So the, the, now there is like an excerpt from it, like it, like some of this layout in the book, but this is an actual, just one of a kind. You'll see it doesn't even exist. This is like nothing out of a hundred. Oh, yeah. um, this was never made. Only one was made this one for a promo video that Ray did. Oh. And I got to put that in some kind of plastic, but anyway, yeah, it's like, uh, I'll, I'll read some. So it's like, um, pardon the French, but let me speak Italian. Yeah. <laughs> Caesar's Palace salad with lump meat, mess hall flip cakes, the cheese line. And it's all like, so this is uh this, this section here is out of state cakes, butter, almond, blue raspberry, hundred pound snakes, cake, chips, ahoy with a big red cherry on top. Best product on the block. That's fucking ill. Of course, French vanilla, butter, pecan, chocolate deluxe in the ice cream section. That was, you know, that's, that was too, that's whatever, that's too easy. This got like hundreds of, it's nuts though. So yeah. That's nuts, dude. I, I want to, that Supreme Clientele book sounds ill to me because that out of all the Wu-Tang albums oh. is, is a very special one. And I've always thought it was very significant because I know Iron Man's a dope album. We all love it. There's a, two reasons why I think Supreme Clientele is very important. One, as ill as Iron Man was, there was something about Supreme Clientele where I feel like Ghost came into his own identity, like the crazy wordplay, the bathrobe shit, all shit just came into the forefront and it really established him outside of Wu-Tang as this other entity. Not that he's not part of Wu-Tang, but just a very strong character in, in his artistry. And all like the first slew of solo albums, you know, and around Forever coming out, like that's when Wu was still crushing it, hot. Around the time Supreme Clientele drops, Wu's kind of falling out. A lot of the albums have been lackluster or criticized or whatever, and even some of the spinoff groups. And then he goes to Africa with RZA. Well, he went to Africa before, and that's yeah, important. He goes to Africa before the book, yeah. but he talked about how it influenced the album. And yeah. the album was – and RZA didn't even do all the beats. He just – but he executive produced it. So he was there, even though you had some of the most fire beats coming from other dudes. And that album was – ridiculous and still is classic and it was a, it brought the attention back on Wu 
and especially on Ghost himself, which yeah. I think allowed for Ghost to have such a successful solo career to this day. And I it's, it's, a, it's such an incredible album. It's just it blows me away. And this, it's kind of like I know. And listening him to him talk about it, it's almost like uh, you know Iron Man's amazing, but it's disjointed. Those the, the <laughs> tracks. There's a lot of you know. Uh, this one, it's just like listening to someone like almost like the blinders came off. He's like, wow, I can just say whatever. And, yeah. you know, for a nerd like me, and I've written this like a million times, every time I've talked to Ghost, even before the book stuff, like he's hilarious. And that like, you know, some I've been trying, I've tried to pick apart rhymes of his for years and he doesn't, you know, it's, it's, that's just, that's not really how he intends it. You know what I mean? That's cool. You could go rap genius on every, every word in there. But if you try to figure out what he means on, you know, by six monkeys, three Nazis, 12 disappeared. You're, you're going to just waste time like I have, but that's all good. That's part of the fun. That's part of Wu-Tang. And, uh, you know, and, and on the other hand, of course, there, there are a lot of things in there. He'll, he says like, he might've known at the time what he meant by something, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Time goes by, man. That's wild times, man. You know, it, it, like when I was working on my first book, Quicksand, I would think, who do I know who's written books? And I literally knew like two to three people and you were one of them. And, uh, I was like, I was like, I gotta ask Chris some questions, but I was like, this is a busy ass motherfucker. And and he's, you know, he's so busy. I felt bad even hitting you up. And then I also, yeah. you know, didn't expect you to get back to me because you're so busy. And then I realized, like, you know, the style of shit I write, I just write short stories, true stories. Like there's poetry and shit in there, and, and but it's also just like just whatever, dark comedy. It's harder to sell that though. It's it's a tougher world. Well, tell me, dude, selling books in 2020 is like who nobody buys books dude. yeah it's tough. i mean you know i i think like uh i you know i i all my books have really been kind of like come out of things that i was doing you know what i mean like so if i was like reporting something you know and have all this other stuff and, and put it together occupy yeah uh, early early fights against the right and i kill breitbart stuff like that yeah. and like um you know not uh creative nonfiction, which is the category you fall into more is it's kind of like what we call evergreen. It's like, you know, uh, so I think, you know, it's always about tying it. Evergreen mean, break that down. It means, it's, it, means it's, it means it makes as much sense two weeks ago as it does two years from now. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I see. So, um, so there are things like that, like that are the best sellers of all time, like eat, pray, love, or some things like, you know, books like that, that are, you know, part memoir. It's not like, but, for me, I'm like a journalist. So everything's like, I'm always on the timeliness and well, I'm so timely to the yeah. point where, and the, the place where we do have crossover, me and you is, is that I'm independent, you know, I, yeah. um, and, uh, and that allows you to get books out faster and stuff. There's, there's pluses to it. There's minuses to it, but you know, books are just a tough sell. I think, uh, I think that people really do like holding stuff still. Yeah, more. Um, I, I've decided I was going to put out some books of mine that never came out in print that were only digital. And I was going to do like cool versions and stuff. Cause you know, you know, as an artist, like how the, the numbers work, like you don't like you that many. If I have, you know, you just do it on a calculator. If I can sell 500 books at this price, it's worth doing. But I decided I'm actually going to kind of move forward and, and do more video stuff. And that's maybe I'll do a compilation one day, but it's just not worth hundreds of, well, not even like, if it's going to take me a hundred hours to, put already written stuff in a really nice format and invest in getting it printed and stuff. That's nice. But I'm kind of focused on just doing new stuff. I'm, I'm only 41. So, you know, I, I mean, can do my, my look backs at 50, I guess. You're, you're incredibly prolific. And that's what I would, when I was working on my shit, I would see your output. It's like, damn, this dude is just 
shooting it out of a gun, just like one after another. And I wonder, it's like, is Chris ever going to veer into writing anything more personal or fictional, like a novel or whatever? I know your style. I have, I have. Okay, so that's what I was curious about. And and uh, and I, and I was like, is he so prolific because the, the journalistic approach, he has less of an emotional attachment? Or maybe you do. I don't know. That's presumptuous. No, no. Does no, it, no, not at all. I think that's no, kind of funny. I tell I tell journalism students that you know there's no such thing as writer's block in journalism. You just haven't done enough interviews. You haven't there's you just because uh, it's not supposed to come from you, right? So, uh, but as for this other stuff, I I do other stuff too. I mean, I I have like a you know a shitty novel I've worked on. I have, but I I have a screenplay that I think is pretty good. I know everybody has one. This one is a uh, based on my first book. It's based on Ninety Nine uh, Nights, but it's it's you know it's fictional, um, and uh, you know it's one of those things where I wrote it. I you know, we all know a couple people who are connected. I have it with one person right now. Um, it's it's a new world for me. So um, That's dope. I, I really, it's it's not, there are plenty of screenplays I would write that I wouldn't care if somebody gave me five, 10, 20 grand and they could put it on the shelf forever and never sees the light of day. This is not that one. Emotion, so you're I'm not saying, yeah, yeah th- this one. So I, this is not, it's not something I'm gonna like put everything aside and make a passion project uh, a feature film. It's just something that, Listen, if it ever gets made, it ever gets made. I think that Occupy is, you know, you're one of the, you were there all the time, you know, so you know, you saw it firsthand. I think that, uh, listen, I'm not surprised that it's basically been written out of history, but I, it's just such, it's so disappointing because um, that you have like even kids who are in college now that don't know that people like stood up for all the issues that they're concerned about. Like, nationwide. This was. A, I was. In, I went to New York. I went to Chicago yeah, for that. The recent, it's recent. It's two thousand. It's only. It's only. Well, this year is. It, oh no. What am I? It's two thousand eleven. No, it's ten this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is nuts to even think about, right? Yeah, September is going to be the tenth. The tenth occupied. Shit, man. And the, which is wild. So there's a good example right there. It's not, um, where maybe there'll be some interest, but uh. You know, I think it's I think it's important, and um, you know, we still certainly we all live in the aftermath of of Occupy, and you know, ways people don't don't all realize. But um, yeah, so that's basically what that's about. But yeah, I I definitely love I I love all kinds of writing, um, except for like writing about shit I don't want to write about. I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather work in a kitchen. I no, there are a lot there are a lot of writers who uh, I, I don't props to them. They that's how they support them. They have like a job. Well, yeah, they they work at a, you know they do medical writing or whatever, and then they do freelancing for the stuff they like. Yeah. But for me, I don't like writing the act of writing that much. I'd rather you know fucking sell, grow weed or make <laughs> you know work in a kitchen. Yeah, man, uh, you kind of just did like the most natural segue for me. So thank you. Like, <laughs> uh, Occupy kind of got written out of history and stuff. When I th- see things like that, it, it it's kind of like um almost like a form of, of censorship, not a direct form, but it's, it's a way of kind of taking certain things away from the public eye and being a creative or an artist, more or less uh, being expressive is, is, is my existence. Like well, painting, drawing, writing, music, broadcasting, speaking my mind or saying whatever I want and, and being able to take in entertainment or information from wherever I want is very important to me. And I've definitely felt over the last couple of years there's been more pushes for censorship in certain places. And it was odd because I noticed it coming from places that I didn't think it would come from. And so then I start seeing journalists being attacked, maligned, criticized, whatever. And then there's a very few journalists I fuck with besides yourself. Uh, and I like them and I've seen them leaving even 
like like an example of like a dude like Glenn Greenwald leaving something like the Intercept, which he started, or people going to like you know Matt Taibbi going to Substack, whatever. And you, I saw something on social media that you said a couple weeks ago, and and you know I wish I had saved your tweet. It was something just referring to censorship or people kind of coming at you or something. And I was curious as a guy who that's your your biz, your livelihood, your your essence. Do you feel like there's a push on censorship right now or specifically on journalists? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, you know, it's not only, it's not censorship to the point. Cause it's like government has to be the censor, right? Yeah, so yeah, as far yeah. as just, as far as just like people, it, it, it's, it's culture, just call out, it's call out culture. And here's the thing I'm for the most part, I'm not on the wagon of, of, of saying that because it's all a fight out here. Right. If I don't want to fight, I get off the battlefield. I get it. Um, I will say that uh, it is. It, this is why I'm not really. I'll still. I'm still on social media and Twitter and stuff. This is why I've slowed down in the past couple of months. And this is what you're referring to. It's gotten to the point where, like, I I don't. I I not only am I okay with being held accountable. It's like as a journalist, it's the only way I've ever gotten better. I can go on and on about ways. I'll give you one clear example. I. I called uh, a Fox News anchor who was at Occupy Boston a bimbo on Twitter. And I, I, I listen. Yeah, it's like a silly word. Right. And the tr- listen, a lot of people are deeply offended by it. And I learned my lesson. I don't use that word anymore. And uh, I'm not I'm not fucking mad about it. I, truth, I, I'm, a, I'm an alpha male, but I have very little pride. You know, I'm, I'm OK with being told I did something wrong. Right. What's going on right now, a lot of it is it's not accountability culture. It's it's just bullshit. And and so I'm not really going to when I'm fucking out here trying to and, and it always puts me in a position where then I have to be like, well, I'm spending my days covering prisons and doing all this fucking good stuff. And I I just don't even have time for it. So if somebody has a legitimate uh, gripe, they, they can email us. And I, I, I don't even with the exception of like crazy racist and stuff, I write everyone back. I'm always happy to not only have a discussion this is the other thing you have some ultra progressives who don't fucking know our work and they come at us and, and we always offer them a platform. You don't like the way we covered something. We have an op-ed page submit. Do you think they submit? No. So, you know, I'll, all I'll say on that is that I'm really not on, I, I, I think Glenn Greenwald loves just fucking confrontation. I actually got to interview him not long ago for the society of professional journalists. And trust me, he's good at it. I'm not trying to go, go at it with him. And he's right about a lot of things. And, and the left is completely nuts, but you know, he's a he's a he's a pugilist. Uh, I study with Christopher Hitchens, who a lot will yeah, yeah. a lot of people will, especially with the contours of their careers, will now especially even more than they already did compare the two of them. You know, Hitchens famously departed the nation to support the war in Iraq, uh, and you know, listen, I was actually a student at New School at the time, and it, these 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 guys are very convincing. They're very smart, and they're right about a lot of things, but. Ultimately, was the war was it right to go over there? Of course not. So I, with Greenwald and this, he's totally right about a lot of it. It's a fucking shooting match out there. But you know, it's consuming a lot of his shit right now. So I, listen. I, I overall though, it is definitely a distraction. And I'll end my thoughts on this with this: is you saw the CIA thing this week? Yes. I think the CIA thing, and anybody just look it up if you didn't see it already. The, the CIA, the woke CIA ad, right? Which yeah, trying to like soften the image of the CIA. Like we're actually pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. This, this is shown, this is what this is shown. And uh, this is shown the right is absolutely rip shit over this. This they're like, this is our CIA. Like you know, the fascists <laughs> who like love the CIA, right? This horrible fucking organization. So 
they they hate it okay the um the wokes hate it of course correctly i would argue because fuck the cia what the fuck is this right and then the 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 more neoliberals like you know your your uh obama clinton type of people they don't like it because it is um you know they they are attacking it because they think that the cia shouldn't be like virtue signaling like that like fuck you cia that's the stuff we say yeah we say things like diversity and all this we use all this alphabet soup bullshit right (laughs) so long so what's the what's the moral of the story nobody this is fucking this we we have to respect people right we have to do all this but this what this shit has come to like to the point where we have woke cia ad everybody finally agrees on one thing finally that that is a bunch of bullshit and it matters does it matter all of that stuff that woman says in that ad if she's working for the cia and fucking killing people or whatever she's doing of course not but that's what we're all saying that's what greenwald i think is trying to say in a way certainly what i've tried to espouse but i don't like to say it too much because i definitely don't want to get in the uh position where i'm like being defensive because the truth is like a lot of the shit is like of course i understand like how fed up people are and like um you know they don't you know it, it, it's okay to call i i hold people accountable i call people out all fucking day so i don't want to be out there being like no you can't do it too of course, of course. well you're in a, a position as like a journalist and reporting on stories of, of all different types you're always going to run into i just imagine so many people that maybe like if you're talking about like the prison system in mass somebody who worked there who doesn't or maybe they never even seen the corruption that you're talking about and they'll just come to the defense of it or my brother worked there or this is you know whatever and then people who are on the receiving end of the the corruption and shit and and i don't know i'm just imagine you get a lot of people coming at you dude. of course yeah of course and and you know and i, I will say I'm, I'm more in the editor's chair now i still do put some stuff out I, I just put out a huge story that i worked more than a year on about state police a couple months ago um and uh about about a, a black trooper who was really done wrong and other black cops in general and um that i gotta say it started out 50 50 with hate and and appreciation and and it really went toward mostly appreciation because anybody who knows my work knows i'm not out here defending any cops but the thing about the police and i've been covering them for so long is like the, some of these guys are stealing from the other ones. They're making them look horrible. They're literally stealing. Like the head of the, U, the state Massachusetts State Police Union stole millions. He's going on vacations with his girlfriend, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, they, they, hired, they hired Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer to defend him before they, decide, before they stopped, ran out of money. Like that's, and he was totally crooked. Like that's how bad it is. I'm thinking like, you're a, you're a tough guy cop and you're putting up with that? Yeah. That's, you know, I had these guys, call, these guys calling me who are in the state police union telling me, that uh, they were they were strong armed out of their own union meetings if they thought they were going to be uh, and I'm like guess what that's not a union then you know like so I you know I, I think uh, I've always taken and not just in the gay versus straight versus you know regular but I've always taken on like this idea of like who's like the he man who are the brave people in around because you know that that cop when he's at the gym with his fucking he's all tough I don't want to go up against him in a game of three on three either because you know if he had a bad week at work he's gonna break my nose but that doesn't mean he's tougher than me dude i'm he could he could beat my i am tougher than that fuck any day any day because i'll get back up and he'll just go move to the suburbs like a fucking bitch 
<laughs> I love it, man. One thing I love about like writers in general, but like a writer like yourself is uh, I feel like people who do what you do have a, a, a passion. I mean, I'm passionate about writing the, the authors I like, but you're passionate about these different issues and things about life. And I don't know, man, it's just, I just started for the, I know this is a weird time in my life. I just for the first time started reading like Hunter S. Thompson. I always like knew who he was and respect. What, what, what do you, what books are you going to go? I just into? read Hell's Angels and uh, Hell's Angels is the best is, is my favorite. Of so it's all downhill from there. Is that what you're saying? No, no. And it's not that, you know what it is. I, I like Hell's Angels, not for a reason, like uh, not just to compare to his other books, but because as a journalist, he doesn't, everybody loves the crazy things about Thompson and the drugs and everything. Hell's Angels is one of the best reported books ever written he was getting he had people all over the country clipping those newspaper clippings about how they were covering so you know i think it's interesting and that juxtaposition of showing the reporting he's doing which is actually what is going on with the hell's angels to a certain extent he's hunter thompson so he has his flourishes but uh but then versus what like what were what 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 were then and are still historically considered legitimate news organizations were literally making things up that oh, these guys were like biting the heads off of children. So, you know, I just, I, I love that book. But other than that, you know, for other, there are other things. I mean, if you're looking for like a wild ride, I guess Hell's Angels is part that, but no, you know, you're probably, you know, looking for, uh, uh, I actually, I love Campaign Trail 72. Yeah, I just started that. I read The Rum Diary. I just started that. And uh, I The Rum Diary is fiction and it's, yeah, I think it's pretty I, weak. I wanted to read the fiction because I knew it was kind of like, it's fiction, but it was pseudo based yeah, on. I mean, and I'm not trying to knock him. I mean, what he was what twenty something years. Yeah. Uh, or did he write it later, just about his early years? I yeah, forget. Yeah, yeah, I thought it came later. I, I mean, yeah, I, uh, but it's about his first job, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But yeah, yeah but I mean, it's uh, and shit. But it was cool. I mean, it took me a long time as a reader to get into to fiction. Well, have, hold on, let me. Yeah, I have a, I have a lot of the. Oh, CG Chris has got it. This guy's got a library in his fucking basement. Hold on a second. I got uh, everything, dude. Books, albums, hats, uh, paraphernalia, if you will. All kinds of shit, dude. That's the kind of shit you need to have, dude. Oh, man. Look, at Chris just whipped out uh, a gang of, of articles. And, and this, are these ancient articles? What? What are these? Oh, this is, yeah, this is. Uh... Like ancient articles, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so that's December 15th, 1977, 10th anniversary of Rolling Stone, Hunter Thompson, Fear and Loathing, The Banshee Screams for, for the Buffalo. That's so ill. Yeah, I got a couple of those. I got, I got a lot of these and then uh, so much crap. Look at this. This is an old – this is an c- old conservative anti-Kennedy uh, family <laughs> um, cartoon. Oh, shit. That's hilarious. They draw the ca- the, the caricatures of uh, – I can never say that word, the caricatures – yeah. And then okay. I have, I don't know if you know Spy Magazine, you would have loved that. No, but that's, is it anything to do with espionage or what? No, no, no. Spy was like, uh, actually Spy is now, people kind of know what it is a little bit now because when Trump became president, they were the, it was kind of like, uh, it was like a, like a hip 90s, but mm-hmm. still with like the cocaine 80s flair, uh, New York. New York on New York, like New York Magazine as opposed to the New Yorker, but even cooler. That's cool. You know, and, and also kind of like not satirical, but humorous. And so one of the what they're they're famous for a lot of things, two pranks in particular that I love. One is they sent every wealthy person in New York or no, all the fame, all the most famous you know, ones who are always in the headline, like like a hundred of them or something. Uh, 
checks and it was uh it was a check and it, it looked like um it, it for like it, the first one was like for a dollar fifty and it just said due to a computer error with your account sir or ma'am or whatever um we have given you this check as a rebate you know you get rebate checks right just and back then when everything when nothing was digital you would always be you know just for any younger listeners it's not random right so the idea was who's the fucking who's the cheapest millionaire in new york all right and you can look this article up and they so they sent these checks and every couple of weeks they sent a diminishing check so the first check was a dollar fifty second checks a dollar twenty ninety eight cents yada yada, yada. No, to the point crazy. i think the final check is like five cents or something and the only person to cash it was donald trump he cashed everyone down to the that one and the other prank they did is like now we live in a world where we just take for granted public relations pr that's everything we know everything is pr if you turn on yeah, entertainment yeah. tonight everything right um back then that was like just getting ramped up you know it started in the 40s but in the 80s and 90s like they were really getting sleazy so spy magazine hired um well they they put out a that they said they want to hire a firm, a uh, a PR firm for a new chain called Bunny Burger, where they're going to serve bunny hamburgers, and they and they and it's and they have um, uh, and all of the big PR firms in New York City put pitches together, and there's actually a video of it because they were they were doing a television pilot. It never came to fruition, but so all these sleazy PR guys are coming in like like basically this is how we're going to convince people to eat bunny meat. I eat rabbit all the time. Dude. I do too, but you know, I guess it's not as fun. It, it, it's you still, say it, funny, it sounds way worse because it's a soft, yeah. little cute bunny. Plate. Yeah, that was the idea, right? Yeah, no, that's. It's funny how man. I kind of like sometimes playing. I do that on social media. Sometimes I play little cranks or like social experiments and shit. Oh. And uh, that's kind of fucked up on my behalf. <laughs> that's my antagonistic spirit sometimes. But I kind of get a little enjoyment out of it. It's it's like, you know, I don't know, man. It, it strokes my ego of, oh, I'm smart enough to do this, which is kind of self-serving and stupid. But it does show you how, if I can do these little things, imagine what uh, a, a media outlet Where do you farm all those memes from? You make all of them up? or do you I, like- know, I, make, I make like a third of them. And, and where the, do, I never see any of them anywhere else. I, I dig hard, but they find, like on Reddit and stuff? They, they find me. I got like fans and listeners. And oh, okay, that's, and I figured. Shit. But most of the time, I'm hunting for them or I make them. I hunt and I make them. And a lot of the weird pictures that don't even have a mean, I find those or I take those. Out oh, okay. So you got, that's what I, I figured that a lot of them were kind of like hybrids. Like, you, you know. Yeah, you got yeah. No, I definitely find more than I make, but I like to make them. And then the weird pictures, man, I just want to walk out and about or travel the world. I see weird shit. Maybe someone else walked right by, but they didn't see it because it's weird, but it's funny to me. Or something, and yeah, Danielle's you know, always bringing them over to me. Got it. And I use all that shit really just to push like the books and the podcasts and the radio shows. Dude, that's that's what it's all about. And I'll tell you, you know, it's here's a little. I I mean, you know, since you're not dealing with a lot of like data and stuff, but like it doesn't have to be data driven always. But I'll tell you what people really like and, and it helps is infographics. What the? I don't even know what the fuck that is. Like a like a an information laid out in a, uh, like a chart, a graph, if you will. Yeah, but a cool one. So for you, it would be like, you know, hold on, i show you something. Like a funny one? <laughs> like, yeah, you're using words above my pay grade, dude. No, just imagine like, uh, imagine like uh, your life story laid out in a, in a quick, here. Oh, I need to do that. I need to Something do like this. I, Ready? Look. Yeah, see? How Jake spends his time. Oh, just see, who makes those? I need to learn how to make that. Well, you could go on Fiverr and pay someone 10 bucks to do that. Oh, well, now I'm going to do that. 
So yeah, those are the things that like I think those are and those kill people and and uh, yeah. people spend time on them. They click so. Oh yeah, see, I need to do that, dude. Whoa. So so if you are not watching, you're just listening. My man Chris has uh, some tattoos on his knuckles, and I I haven't been able to make it out. Oh, say so it says binge, which is if you want Boston Institute for Nonprofit Journalism. Uh, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a DITC tattoo. Just the letters, I couldn't see it. I thought it was a digging in the. I, I do love, I do love my, me some DITC. I do uh, so much that I will not watch the fake Big L documentary. Wait, wait I thought there was a real one coming out. And is that's there another? Fake? That's another one I did, by the way. So is the fake one out? Uh, I think. Then what makes it fake? Just that it's not a good documentary, or it's not authorized. Talk, talk to any of the fr- finesse or anybody. So who do they talk to? No, they didn't talk to me either. So here's oh. another, here's one. See, Chris is showing his Big L book. Is this a book that you did on Big L? Yeah. Oh, man. Dude, you got to do so much dope shit, dude. Yeah, and this was, this is an interesting one. We talked, I talked to, <clears throat> um, I think, uh, oh, look at that. That's cool. We found the uh, original press release. Is that the, the lifestyle? Oh, the, oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's so weird the way when Big L came out and, you know, he didn't, splash as big as i thought i think a lot of people thought he was going to splash although i love the album i love it you love it and i always wondered if big l got signed to rockefeller like the rumors were right and he didn't get murdered what would have been like if he came out on rockefeller dude and, and dropped like the flamboyant album like on like on Rockefeller. Yeah, and he was willing to, you know, not like I'm saying he was willing to sell out, but he he was willing to do those songs. And even if you listen to the first album, which, you know, it's like basically two albums. There are the songs that he had recorded, and then there are the songs. You know, I think people now will be harsh about that. They really don't understand the pressure and how it worked. But I think he was he was leaning into it, you know, and uh, who know? I mean, who know? Who the hell knows? Hip hop is so crazy like that. I listened to you know, like I said, I still listen to everything in a, in a vacuum. You know, as you think about, like, I'm sure people are doing things. I try to follow people's careers. Like one person I got to, I want to check up on, like, I don't know what nature's been up to. Fuck has nature been up? You know, haven't there, heard the name there are so many gods of hip hop. People who are so nice with it. Um, and then the other thing of that is like, uh, you know, I'm not into top 10 talk as much as like, there are artists though, who are just always forgotten from those conversations. And uh, you know, that, and it's just, it's just like, you know, whether it's Tretch or, you know, just who, who, and, and, and more, more that they're litmus tests. And like, I, and I, you, this is unprovoked. You didn't even ask, but I guess I just segued to it. It's like, basically like, I don't mind, like, it's, you can't have some of these lists. It's all, people are always debating over it now, but for me, it's like my, it's still kind of a solo, I guess what you said before, I, I'm not writing about it always now, so I can really enjoy it a lot more, you know, it's yeah. It's a me thing. I certainly have my list always in development. Of course, I'm sure. I'm sure. And like you're an opinionated dude with certain things, and and that's not and that's not a knock. Like I mean, I guess we all are to a degree, uh, but you know, especially like in your writing and stuff, whether it's political or music based and stuff like that. But I think that's what makes a journalist ill is like they are kind of opinionated. Like people say, you know, unbiased journalism. No. that doesn't exist really right no well, no not even no not even close you know it's interesting my favorite my favorite quotes on that actually don't even come from a journalist they come from howard zinn who oh, who of, of all the people i've been around actually it was it was actually uh uh victor who put me on to howard zinn because i remember when i went out to visit audible mainframe in california they had 
copy of a People's History of the United States next to the toilet. You never read uh, it before, or had you you not read the book? I had read I had read parts for for you know for things in school. I had never actually done it, and even till this day, I have like as a reference. But I I listen. What I did was after. You know, after uh, uh, Victor was like, basically, like, you have to go through front to back. I, I did the audio. And that was really, I think his son read it. Oh. I think his son reads the audio. And it's really, and it just, uh, I was teaching at Salem State. I had like 45 minutes each way. And I really absorbed the hell out of it. Anyway, he's got the best stuff on. It's subjective. Every decision that a history writer yeah, or a yeah. journalist makes is subjective. So to, to pretend that we, okay, I made this little decision. This is the decision to write about what I'm writing. And then I'm going to pretend that there's objectivity within that decision yeah. is happening, you know, and, and, uh, but I, I'm, you know, I gotta be honest. I am glad to have been ahead of the curve on that. You know, we saw with Donald Trump, everything that people like me reported alternative journalists, whatever you want to call us, independent reporters have always said, which is, um, you know, if somebody's a motherfucker, I'm just, you gotta, it's gotta come out. Like, yeah. were you going to, you know, waste all day pretending like, uh, me talk, ha- half your time. It's kind of, it's so crazy. If I say to you, imagine spending if half of the sources for the past four years had been people who were supportive of Trump, even in places like the New York Times. Yeah. You'd laugh your ass off. Of course not. That's crazy. That would have looked ridiculous. The guy was lying about everything. Well, that's kind of how I see the whole world. Like, yeah. that's how I, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really call the police for comment on things that they're clearly wrong about. Do you think... I, or even if I do, uh, they're, it's not like they're calling back. Mm-hmm. I mean, Boston cop gets caught bragging about how he drove into protesters on his fucking another cop's yeah, seen that. chest yeah. camera. Do I need the? Do I need to call the police so they can say, bah, 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 bah. "No, I don't fucking." Need, I, this is what this is what it is. So, long story short, now everyone kind of gets that a little bit because of Trump. He showed all everybody. You know, we don't always need to say the lie, too. I think Keith Olbermann back in the day once said, like, well, if there's one guy who is a scientist and says the moon is made of rock and there's another guy who says the moon is made of blue cheese, do we have to have them both on to fucking shout it out at each other? Of course not. So I'm just basically like, you know, I've never really bothered with that shit. My reporting's diligent. It really is. And I think... uh I get, I get, and not like I, I don't hold it up as some huge compliment, but I really do get people on the right, um, not crazy people, but like, you know, people who are way more conservative than me, people probably vote Republican, people who are certainly way more capitalist than I am. And they, you know, that's a very fair story that you wrote. That's a good story, you know? And honestly, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, we, we're, we're so gung ho on prison reporting. And uh, I understand, I know that a lot of people think that people who are who are doing bids don't deserve to fucking live i know you don't think that because you always held down your homies who are fucking locked up and uh and that's so important you know and uh, it just it makes me emotional because like uh i hate to have to i hate that to see down south that like finally not everywhere but in certain places like arkansas there's an agreement conservatives finally see how much this shit is costing society and the government directly and indirectly and up here in the Northeast where everyone thinks everything's so liberal hunky dory, that is not how it is. They're going to build a new women's prison. You know, 3000 kids are born in captivity in this country every year. So, you know, I, I'm just, uh, and this didn't come out of nowhere. I say it because with prison reporting, it's a perfect example of 
the, the last thing I ever think is object. I don't fucking care about all sides of the story. How about the sides of the story where people are locked up? Where's their side of the story? That's what we're trying to get. So sometimes I'm trying to balance out the larger narrative. You know what I mean? As opposed to like looking for this 50 50 in my own story. That's a good perspective that I probably as a non journalist didn't take into account. Cause you know, people do want, you know, as a, as a reader, and this is a person, citizen, whatever the fuck, civilian, uh, you know, you might want to expect impartial whatever when you're reading, but, you know, you're doing the duty of representing voices that are not heard and shit, and that's, the, that's what you're supposed to do, especially when you're an independent writer, independent journalist going up against larger media outlets that... Um, yeah kind of just, I don't know, play to their sponsors, play to their fucking finance. Yeah, and, and we, listen, I'll put opposition quotes in there. People say what they say. That that's, Reader needs to see that a lot of the time too. I just mean, uh, you know, I, I don't want to belabor it too much. I just think, I, I just, anybody who thinks I'm, I'm uh, exaggerating, just look at like Boston Globe articles from like 15 years ago even about gay marriage. And they would always like quote this guy, Chris Minow, K-R-I-S-M-I-N-E-A-U from this place called the Massachusetts family Institute. And he would, he would always say things like, well, gay people can't get married. Like they have sex with like animals, things like crazy things like that. And like legitimate outlets would, would print it. And I always think that so interesting because now they would never dare, you know, but and it's not like I need people to come around and say like, Chris, you were right, but fuck, we were right. You know I mean? I, that I never needed to give that asshole a quote, not unless I was totally, ripping into you know making him look like a jackass but you know anyway. legitimate outlets uh when you and maybe you don't i don't know maybe because you're working on so much do you take in information or news from any outlets other than your own like do you is there any oh yeah i mean i i try to i mean as much as i can't stand like you know a lot of things that the globe does or the new york times or whatever i try to be fair and say like listen these places do unbelievable reporting i mean they Reporting that I couldn't dream of doing. I, I know the, they, they spend millions of dollars on articles. I mean, the Globe just did a story um, on Boston police. You know, the head of the the head of the police union for years was a child molester, and the and the Boston police knew about it and promoted him up through the ranks. And he, I mean, it's so. His name was Patrick Rose. If anybody wants oh, to yeah, look at okay. it. And uh, you know, and part of the reason we know about this story now is because the Boston Globe has spent literally millions of dollars over the past several years uh, trying to get uh internal affairs records from the from boston police so you know i want to make it clear that like i am not like the you know the pinnacle of journalism but my job is to kneecap the globe in places like it and you know there are some reporters i truly hate and think do a shitty job but that's not the majority of them and you know a lot of them i I write notes to and i'd certainly link to and credit their work uh of course, there's still less journalism going on, but there's there's still good journalism going on. So uh, when you say less, does it mean literally just less people writing and reporting, or do you mean less like what the what is known as journalism? Like, no, no, there's less outlets. We lost. I mean, Massachusetts lost like 50 outlets last year, local newspapers and stuff. So all those. If you, listen, if anybody out there is listening and you you always wanted to be a petty local tyrant, run for office. This is your time in the sun because. <laughs> nobody's gonna do shit you, you'll probably get busted eventually it'll be real bad and you know you'll, you'll they'll know they'll have all the receipts but you'll get a good 10 15 year run i mean there's nobody minding the store nobody nobody and i'll tell you and it's for for a society that prides itself so much on everybody having a fucking voice on social media nobody has a voice on social media there, there are people uh, who have horrible injustices done toward them and the second they try to do something 
whether it's a page, sometimes it'll catch on if it's violence, especially, but you know, if you get your house taken and they, they forged your signature, I promise you people will start unfollowing you and they'll think you're crazy. Even if they're your best friends and stuff like that, it's crazy that how this world works. I'm a total cynic, but it's true. And that's why, you know, even, you know, I, uh, even that those local newspapers, those are the places that would expose a lot of stuff like that. So, um, you know, uh, people people are not on social media to really change things for the most part. They're on to fucking dick around. That's fine. I understand. Yeah, that's their that's their prerogative. But uh, it's not like if you, you know, it's it's a fantasy. You're in fantasy land if you think you're going to expose your have the skills to and be the platform to expose your. If you're in a town outside of L, one of those horribly corrupt uh, L.A. Uh, what do you, L.A. County yeah. uh, unincorporated towns out there like yeah. the second season of true crime the yeah. one with vince vaughn oh or, yeah 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 or, no, what's it called two, yeah true what true, true detective true. season two yeah that's true. i actually like that season but you know the, that kind of shit is that i mean it, it's it's not it makes for great cinema but that that stuff goes on just constantly maybe not as bloody because why does it have to be it, that's 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 what that's what's brought in for cinema in real life it's it's a lot of just bloodless grift and uh government government money government cleaning up as always man it's uh i mean like coming out of you know the last year and i you know shit being shut down and all fucked up due to covid or whatever like are you just focusing on editing at dig boston or you got any other books or anything in the works or it's just getting getting the publication just back on not that it wasn't off no no no, it wasn't no you're right that's that is it that's exactly it so like i have uh well i will say you know you you saw the little short documentary we did about the dig i do have some some film projects uh i'm trying to make a um documentary about i guess i'll say it here about bunker hill projects about the history of them with johnny with johnny hickey johnny's Uh, on the podcast before yeah 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 so you know and you know maybe we'll come back on and talk about that but we're in the very early stage i was there today um really just uh, we want to do this right multi multi-part series um me writing johnny directing but a heart really amazing documentary this place is the bunk hill projects the history is yeah. mind-boggling i actually just got the original blueprints it was built in 1940 um and the history is from the crime to just yeah, the history crazy. of boston it's, yeah. so, and they're coming down this year so they're they're, they're knocking them down so yeah uh, that's a big project and but with the dig yeah we're we're uh just so happy to still be publishing and stuff but now it looks like not 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 like everything's great but as shows come back online you know people listen to this podcast from all over but in massachusetts um you know we were like the slowest state to come back and i'm not like passing judgment on that in other direction we're past that people just need to be you know safe and uh and let's get back to work as much as possible so for us the big thing there of course is the venues right so those concert venue ads those are basically that's your bread and butter and we haven't had our bread and butter in uh Ah. since the day that shit shut down so right now we're building back up with you know all these other little ads dispensary here a college ad there you know like so um that's doing the trick but once those come on a little things get a little more normalized uh we'll be in a little better shape but yeah i mean that's it i i I didn't want to take on too much and we have the nonprofit too which uh, uh binge like we said so you know, I got my hands full with that stuff. And I, you know, I got a kid. I'm not trying to take on something. You will see me. Oh, one more thing I will say, because actually, you know what? You're going to help me with this. All right. You're going to be my man in LA. You ready? Yeah. Well, I think so. Let me know what it is, but I'm pretty sure I'm down. 
All right. So I know we're going long, but I, I won't take long on this. Ready? We're chilling. Check this out. So you may remember years ago, it's a long time ago now, maybe like 10 years ago, I, I went looking for items that have been stolen out of the Massachusetts State House. And I identified almost 400 pieces of art and battle flags and shit like that that have been pilfered since the 1800s. Okay, because they used to just display this stuff openly, yada, yada, yada. Right? So tons of stuff. I mean, stained glass and you, you name it. My, there's probably not a former legislator in Massachusetts that doesn't have something in their living room, right? Um, so one of the pieces is a bust of a guy named Charles Brooks. He was a, people have heard of Horace Mann. He was like Horace Mann's like, he schooled Horace Mann. He was an education. He was the, the reason we have public schools in America, this guy. And the bust was done by a guy named Thomas Crawford. Anyone who's ever been to the MFA knows when you walk in, Cerebus, that, that is the Thomas Crawford piece. They have two there. He did, he did the piece that's on top uh, uh, of Congress, or uh, 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 several pieces in Washington, D.C. He's the first American sculptor, basically. It's a big, big guy, right? This fucking bust, I found it. It's in LACMA storage. Okay, that's weird. So it was stolen out of the state house in Massachusetts in the eighties by some fuck, some fuck, whoever knows, right? Probably some, you know, petty gangster at the time. I found that it was auctioned off on Beacon Hills. So the guy probably walked it down the street. That's hilarious. Oh no, I'm sorry, Dedham, I think Dedham, uh, uh, Grogan auction house. So I put this article out. Deval Patrick's people were so pissed off at me. They like totally closed us off. They're wow. definitely not going to help us get the bust. And meanwhile, I've never been able to get Charlie Baker to fucking do this, to get this bus back. And uh, I'm getting that bus. I was going to come last year, but the pandemic happened. So yeah, I'm like, I'm excited. I'm in, dude. I'm in. It's like the Cage movie. National well, the article, the article just went viral again because of because yeah. the new Netflix documentary on the Gardner heist. Yeah. And I, I always say every, listen, fine, go find your Gardner heist shit. But I, I have something that's there. I found something already. It's there. Can we just go get it? That's crazy. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm going to make a short document. That's my next short documentary project. Dude, I'm all in. I want to play Indiana Jones. This sounds like a fucking blast, dude. So that's, but you know, that's not like this. That's hard. That's nothing like the scope. And, and Johnny and I are looking at uh, working on another project too. So th- those are bigger things. The, the, the bus thing is like my little pro- project on the side. So you can help me with that though. Dude, I would fucking be honored, bro. All right, cool. Ferone. Music venues are open. I'm, I'm, they're not. I'm just saying they are. When they are. This is like a fantasy land. Yeah. You get to go to one show of an artist that's alive. Who's the first one you're going to? Oh, my. Can't like, be re- Got to be alive. Realistically? Yeah, realistically. Some of that might be, you know. Yeah. I would like to see. Um, well, it's kind of, it's such a nerdy answer, I guess. But I, you know. Nerd, the, I, nerd out. You know what's a show that just, I never stopped thinking about? I saw Wise Intelligent at the Middle East upstairs once. Just and it, was, it was basically like two hours of nonstop. It was one of the best shows I've ever experienced in my life. As for what I'd like to see right now, I would love to see Danny Brown. I'd love to see what he's been up to. He's one of the best live performers, I think. And then, of course, you know, my favorite rapper is Planet Asia. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I got, a, you know, I, I got to see him not long, not long before the pandemic. I, I'd really love to see that. Um, Props to, uh, I want to see that. Um, I don't know, man. It's, I ha- I want to give you a bigger vision. Give me. You only get one, so give me the biggest vision right now. It's more. It's more than a show, man. 
Oh God, a festival. I already gave you my, no, I already gave you my show. I'd want to see planet Asia with some of this new stuff. Cause I've been listening to ton over, over and, and, uh, but I want to, you know what, um, do you know what, uh, what the hell is it called? Branson, Missouri is, uh, I've heard of it. Do you know what it is though? No, it's not a town in Missouri. It is, but it's, it's all entertainment. There's like, it, there's more theaters, there's more theater seats per square capita than, in, than New York city. It's, it's, it's all theaters. There's like 30 theaters and it's all like, like, um, people, like if it was hip hop, like duck down would have a theater oh, like, man. and, and uh, Yakov Smirnov has the biggest theater in town and he sells out three shows a day. My grandparents used to go to, they go to like four shows a day. They go to like a theater performance. They go see like Paul Anka. Anyway, imagine a town like that in the middle of the desert with all, all hip hop, you know, and like, you like see Joel Santana over like margaritas in the afternoon. Oh, that sounds great. And yeah. then there's like uh, you know, underground, basically, you know, South by Southwest nonstop, all hip hop. Like it used to be, dude. Like it used to be back when you had the fucking RV and we were part. All right, y'all. This episode of the Damaged Goods Podcast was brought to you by Elite Botanicals. Elite Botanicals is originally the CBD division of Elite Cannabis. If you guys have heard me talk about them, you know this is my favorite CBD product out there. The only one that truly works. I swear by it. That's why I'm endorsing them, not for any other reason. And now they're back with their new line for your little pets, Whole Pet CBD. They are one of the first companies farming high CBD cannabis under industrial hemp rigs. They've been working with CBD since 2013 with one of the first licensees in Colorado, also, they've been working with Colorado State University since 2016 on their canine research study with CBD, so they know what they're doing. Their focus is providing farm-to-table product that uses the best ingredients possible, ultra-refined, distilled, full-spectrum CBD oil at high potency for reasonable pricing. That's the problem. Most of these other guys are overpriced for their non-working stuff. This allows for effective dosing and a 30-day-plus supply per unit. For the pets, they've got drops that go on their food or in their mouth. They got chicken and salmon flavored ones. They've got soft gel capsules. They got a gravy powder. You just sprinkle that over their food or put a couple of water in there. And it makes a nice little gravy mix chocked full of CBD, glucosamine, and omegas for their joints. They've got nose and toes balm for cracked noses and paws. And they got some all natural treats on the way. All this is available at wholepetcbd.com. Elite Cannabis, Elite Botanicals, and now Whole Pet CBD, all from Elite. Go check it out. And now for an additional discount, use the promo code DAMAGEDGOODS. That's D-A-M-A-G-E-D-G-O-O-D-S. Damaged Goods to get an additional percentage off.